Two, one. And I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. I silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. What's up? What's up, everybody? This is Shanti Das, the host of the Silence the Shame podcast, and I'm sitting here with my amazing co-host, Free the Vision. How What's you up? doing? I'm good, Shanti. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Excited about today and this conversation because I actually grew up loving pets, um, but Me didn't too. really know. You know, I think like the full benefit, right, mm-hmm. of what pets can do for people, especially um, around what we talk about, emotional mm-hmm. health and wellness. Um, in the studio, we have um, our committee member and dear friend, Mr. Vaughn Gay, who is the assistant director of counseling at Morehouse School of Medicine and founder of Holistic Atlanta. How are you, Vaughn? It's great to be back, Shanti. Doing great. Good doing to see amazing. you here in the studio absolutely again. We gay. missed you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Up, We've been bro? trying to get this connected. That's you know, what the happens last year when, so. you know, somebody making all the money yeah, and listen, making we, moves. We're trying to. We're going to get to that point <laughs> at some point. But Free I, and I'm just trying to keep up. <laughs> right. Great to be back with you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on. Um, this is episode 21, and we're going to be talking about how pets can help with depression, um, mm. which I think is, is a really great topic. And it's an honor to have a gentleman on the phone that I had the good fortune of meeting at an event last year. I don't know if it was last year or 2017, but um, we've known each other for a while and have been threatening to do some work together. And hopefully this will be the first of many things that we can do together. So I would like everyone to give a warm silence of shame. Welcome to Jeff Fink, who is from Go Fetch Wellness. Hi, Jeff. Hi, welcome, Jeff. How's it going, Jeff? Hey, good to be on here. Just I know we've been we've been talking about connecting up since we saw each other at NAMI, and just good to finally be uh, be on the podcast and and, and uh, appreciate all the great work y'all are doing. Thank you. Well, right back at you. Very proud of you, and uh, we're certainly honored to have you on. So I'll uh, jump right in, Jeff. Um, I'd love for you to share with us your journey. Um, with depression. Also, at what point did you learn about using pets as a form of therapy? Um, and can you tell our listeners about Earl and how you met him? Yes, and I will try to consolidate my journey with depression and not not get too intense too too quickly in the time that we have. But basically, you know, for me, um, I, you know, most of my life, I've I've certainly had uh, severe anxiety, constantly always worried about everything way younger than most people are worrying. You know, when I'm talking to my, my friends, other guys in elementary school, middle school, about all my worries and school and this and that, and they're thinking, you know, what are you even, what are you talking about? We're just, mm-hmm. we're kids. We, we don't need to worry like this. And really what I didn't know is that I had some type of mental health challenge. I didn't understand that until I went off to school. I uh, grew, grew up in Atlanta. I went up to, uh, to school in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, for any Southerner that's never been up north, especially to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. it was just a huge shift. It was freezing cold. It was like minus 30 below zero. I mean, mm-hmm. I had no business even thinking about being there. <laughs> right. It was just, it was not what we, what we experience when it snows in Atlanta and it's closed for, for a week. But, uh, you know, that's where severe depression hit me. That's where... I didn't know it. I didn't know why, but I was crying all the time. I couldn't focus in class. I couldn't relate to my peers. When I went out and I partied more than usual, it hit me so much harder than it hit others. My grades were affected. I just, I couldn't, you know, calm the, the pain down. And it was, and I was hiding. We're talking about silencing the shame. 
I was, I was embarrassed. I was, I was shameful. I didn't, you know, what, what is going on with me? I mean, I, you know, everyone else here where they're happy, they're freshmen in college, you know, mm-hmm. having a good time partying, whatever it is. And here I am like experiencing some of the most profound pain of my life, yet I couldn't share it with anybody. I would be hiding in the dorm room crying. Mm-hmm. Someone would come in. I'd just pretend like I was physically sick. Please leave me alone. I have the flu, you know, just whatever oh, wow. to get them out of there. Yeah. And that was so intense having that having having these just intense experiences and not being able to find anyone to support me you know it's it's like if you can imagine you know getting diagnosed with cancer and having to start going through treatments and everything else and having no one there mm-hmm. to say hey you feeling all right let me bring you some food let me drive you to an appointment let me help you get a a, a medicine i didn't have anybody and that was kind of the start to my what uh, what ended up turning out to be, you know, 20 years later, treatment resistant depression and anxiety, and you know, I, I wouldn't want anyone to experience that kind of pain, especially not not alone. So Jeff, during um, Jeff during your freshman, you, I'm sorry, yeah, during your freshman year, how exactly would you cope, or what would be like the the immediate response to coping with some of those different stressors? In terms of what, what 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 were my coping skills at the time? Absolutely. So my coping skills were I didn't have any. I mean, I, I literally what I use for coping back then and what I use for now. I guess I guess what I had was out exercise, but because of that cold temperature and be, because of the difficulty kind of getting a few miles in that cold of the gym. I didn't have the exercise and in other things I used to cope or connect to, you know, social connections. But when you're unable to share what you're dealing with and there's no mental health organization on campus, like active minds, or there's no, there's no group that's there where you can feel safe sharing, you know, you just, the social connections you have are very surface level. They're very much like, you know, Hey, you know, you want to go watch the game or let, you know, let's get up and, let's get geared up to tailgate for the football game or whatever it is. It's Mm -hmm. not, Hey, I'm like, I'm thinking about death now. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how I'm going to make it till tomorrow. I can't stop crying. I can't function. Is there anyone that I can talk to that will just listen to me? So did you, um, did someone on campus introduce you to pets as a form of therapy or is that something that when you did your own research or your family told you about it? Yeah, that was, um, you know, understanding animals and the role they play in mental health treatment and recovery wasn't something that happened until six years ago. So between the time that I got diagnosed uh, at, at, you know, University of Wisconsin and Madison, Wisconsin to Mm -hmm. present day, I went through a series of very severe depressive episodes where I would be bedridden for years on end, unable oh, no. to leave my family's house, unable to function on it, not having no desire to eat, just being in pain constantly every second of every day, every mm. hour, you know, tomorrow's going to be better. The next day is going to be better. I mean, you're 600 days in, mm. you don't have much hope in 601 being better. Right. And because I couldn't respond like a lot of people to medications, I was tried on over 70 combinations of drugs in that 20-year period oh from goodness. college until I got Earl. And it was, Earl was my dog, and it was, you know, it was electric shock therapy at 25 years old at wow. Emory 
hospital. It was transcranial magnetic stimulation. It was, you know, it was ketamine. You name it, I tried it because, you know, the pain of living with such severe mental illness is greater pain than I've, I mean, I've had some really bad physical pain and back pain and accidents and this and that. But I can tell you when, when your mind is affected, it is, it is beyond anything you can imagine. And so mm-hmm. during that time period, when I was trying to see, you know, what's going to work, I started looking outside of kind of traditional medicine, traditional talk therapy. What is there? And somewhere along the way, someone said, hey, you could get a dog that could help you kind of get outside of yourself, take care of something, experience non-judgment, experience connection, meet other people, good social situations. And I was like, you know, I can't take care of myself. I've got no money. How am I going to feed the dog? How am I going to do this or that? But in the end, it wasn't until I got him, got Earl as a little puppy that I realized, you know, my life is going to look way different now because I got this loving, sweet, rambunctious, mischievous <laughs> dog that is, he brings so much joy to my life, to other people's lives that I said, why aren't we seeing this in mental health treatment? Right. That's amazing. And, and that's really interesting. So I have a question for you, Vaughn, actually. In 2017, the survey by the, hum- the Human Animal Bond Research Institute, 74% of pet owners said having a pet improved their mental health. Can you share more with our listeners on how pets can assist in depression and anxiety yeah, or sure. people experiencing depression and anxiety. Absolutely. So even if we look at it, all of us have had pets, you know, at one point in time, mm-hmm. especially when we were younger, right? And the things that we talked about all the time is that having a pet is almost like having another person in the home, mm-hmm. you know, but this person has unconditional love and response to you. And so individuals that are going through mental health disorders uh, or even emotional health, uh, periods of emotional uh dis-ease within their bodies having a pet is literally gives you an opportunity to communicate with with someone it gives you an opportunity to interact with something that gives you you know a sense of being and a sense of value mm-hmm. there's a level of empathy that pets really exhibit uh, whenever there's something wrong with you pets tend to gravitate towards you in a physical sense um, mm-hmm. if you are ill if you're sick pets will normally sit at the end of the bed or really kind of just give you that reflect the same energy that you're having so even just I'm even thinking as you know there you often hear about therapy dogs you know for the most part right you know having a therapy dog really gives you an opportunity to connect with something that's gonna give you a reverberated level of energy towards you that sense of belonging and a sense of attachment does something for us um, indirectly to where we mm-hmm. really start to develop a sense of purpose for ourselves. And that kind of guides us to at least get into a place to where we're a lot more receptive of receiving help from, from someone else. So that mm-hmm. brings me to my next question. Jeff, can you explain the difference? Because Vaughn was just talking about, you know, uh, a dog using a, a pet as therapy or for therapy. Therapy. Um, can you explain the difference between a service animal, which I believe Earl is a service animal, and someone just adopting a pet to use as therapy? Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll do the abbreviated version of this as well, sure. since there could be a whole we could spend a whole day <laughs> talking about this. Yep. Service. So service animals are specifically only dogs or miniature horses. I know it sounds sorry, but mm. people are like miniature horses. What does that mean? But that's for another conversation. But a service, a service animal is trained to do work or tasks to mitigate a disability. A lot of people are familiar with, with service dogs for people that are blind. They're mm-hmm. called guide dogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These dogs act as people's eyes. So service dogs for people like, like Earl is for uh, you know, a psychiatric service dog or a mental health service dog, they're trained to do things like uh, 
help orient you after a panic attack, help, help put pressure mm. on you. If you're on the ground and you're hyperventilating, you, you know, you, you can't get control of your breathing. The dog is trained to lie on you and kind of oh, help wow. you calm and yeah. focus. Mm. You know, just like, just like, you know, some people uh, will rely on medications to do that. The thing is, these dogs are lifelines. We see them helping veterans out there with PTSD. You know, I know PTSD, we all know that it's not a veteran-specific challenge, but it's, it's what's getting out there on the media. Like, what are these dogs doing and how are they helping, how are they helping you know, wounded warriors? And it's incredible what they're doing because they're doing something where a lot of times, like my story, where the traditional route isn't working or it's not enough mm-hmm. and we're losing people, too many people every day to mental illness. So what else can we do? We can look into service dogs, but we can also look into pets. And what, are, what can pets do? I like to call them companion animals because a pet to me, even though that's what people understand and kind of this is my, the language I'm speaking, companion animals show that we're a partner with our dogs. We're mm. not just putting our dog out on a chain 23 hours a day and throwing some food out there. We're, we're bringing animal dogs or other animals into our life to help both of us, to help the dog, to mm-hmm. help the animal and to help the person, to help be a part of their kind of mental health treatment, to do the things that we were just talking about that they do, this non-judgment, this being there, this kind of, this, you know, focus on something outside of yourself. So my thinking whenever I get calls, which is all the time, and I want a service dog, and how do I get that? I think for the most part, mm-hmm. you can look you can look to the shelters. You, you can look to animals. They don't have to be perfect. In fact, you know, service dogs are so highly trained and so expensive to get, and they have rights where they can go in places where, where animals aren't allowed, like movie theaters, grocery stores, mm. et cetera. But I think that we can learn so much through our relationship with animals that have landed in a shelter and have been abandoned by their family and they don't have anyone to love them. It's, there's so many ways to kind of relate that to ourselves and learn through that and learn through all different types of breeds of animals. So it's not just the golden retriever. It's, it's, it's kind of all the animals out there and, and seeing that scared dog at the shelter that's like, you know, scared or that aggressive one and, and understanding, hey, they weren't born this way, neither were we. Let's see if we can help kind of support them on their journey, and it helps us ourselves. So, because I, I read an article recently um, just talking about other types of pets, right, that can kind of like um, serve as companions um, to an individual. There was an article um, that a Stanford University alum brought for therapy yamas mm-hmm. to campus, which I thought was really interesting. We posted it on our Facebook page to de- help to decrease uh, stress and promote wellness on that particular campus. Um, what do you think, um, Jeff and Vaughn, about other types of pets in decreasing stress and anxiety? Because, I mean, certainly we know the dog man's best friend right? Yep. or a cat um, are very loving animals. And common. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very commonplace um, in this particular space. But like with this person bringing, you know, Yamas to campus or other types of pets, you think just um, as good in terms of promoting that type of support? And do you think, um, Jeff, in your experience or is there even a place to train these animals um, to help people understand or to, to help them understand actually their their owners, if that makes sense? 
So I, th- I think at, at a very basic foundational level, just getting back to nature and interacting with animals is mm-hmm. very therapeutic for us, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, allowing us to kind of be mindful and feeling the the fur of the yamas, you know, and, mm-hmm. and recognizing the height and just being in a so different space and with feeling it. And exactly. Yeah. Mindfulness is very, very important. It's something that we don't do a lot. Mm-hmm. And essentially what that means is just allowing yourself to be present within the moment and appreciating uh, the shapes and the sounds and the feels and all those things that really tap into our senses. That does some things to to secrete neurotransmitters within our brains to lead to better feel-good feelings and emotions. And so I think just at a foundational level, you know, not even necessarily with a, a companion animal or a therapeutic uh, dog, uh, even just interacting with animals or getting mm-hmm. back out to a natural space mm-hmm. away from home, away from our digital lives, that mm-hmm. really gives us a, a, a new approach. Sure. It really kind of decreases some stressors and things of that nature. And Jeff, what do you think about that in terms of um, other types of pets? that could provide um, the same nurturing, if you will, that, that sometimes is needed? So, you know, our goal with GoFetch Wellness is to integrate animals into mainstream treatment. And what that looks like is that means it's not just dogs, it's different species of animals. And mainstream treatment doesn't mean only for those that are at a private treatment center. They can afford to have dogs come in or they can afford to work with different you know, purebred animals or whatever. It It means helping people of all levels of income, of all levels of, of, you know, different areas of the country. And so what that looks like is it's definitely um, needing to look at more than dogs or cats, the most, you know, common household pets. We're looking at, you know, what, I mean, I'm saying a llama, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough, I mean, you got to be near a farm somewhere right, right. a llama can be. Or a miniature horse, but there's so many things that we see. We see horse-assisted um, psychotherapy programs, and there's okay. so many things that a horse can offer um, people in terms of how they can learn about themselves that a dog can't. If a horse doesn't want to move, they're a thousand pounds. They're not moving. If a Chihuahua doesn't want to move, you you're going to pick the dog up. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or you're going to kind of give a tug on their leash. So yeah. I think that for each person having, you know, access to programs that have, you know, some curriculum around them that introduce them to different species will help that person then understand, hey, you know, I was looking, I was looking to get a Mastiff. I want one of those big dogs, or I want a, you know, I want a huge pit bull, or I want a Doberman, or I want this. And then what they realize is, man, I got to pick up all that poop, and they cost this much <laughs> to feed, and, you know, maybe I'm better off with a guinea pig right, right. now. Mm-hmm. And really... It's not, I mean, it sounds kind of like a joke, but this is what happens is people, like, they get excited about this. They want to go out. They get the dog that seems like the one they've always wanted, and they're not set up with the infrastructure to care for that animal. So what I hope for people to do is to be able to learn from different species of animals and then figure out at this point in time, if they want to have their own animal, what can that look like? It can be for someone like in a senior living center where they don't, where they're not as mobile, let's say, Mm -hmm. you could literally set a fish tank up in their room and that releases the same oxytocin, which is a feel good hormone that we get, you know, from the, from, you know, hugging someone or, or are you serious? A fish? You can get that from just looking at fish in a tank and therefore, you know, to maintain a fish tank, you can, you can probably maintain a freshwater fish tank regardless of, you know, what resources you have, that doesn't cost so much money. A dog, Mm -hmm. that definitely costs a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I have a question for you, Jeff. I wanted to double back just for a second. When you said that the dog was trained to, like, lay on you and, you know, to respond to um, 
any moments that you may be having that are um, a mental health challenge, can you kind of describe like the reaction of the dog and how that how that kind of operates and what it feels like to you in that moment? Do you from what you've experienced in the past, do you see yourself recovering quicker? Do you see yourself experiencing something different when when the dog is involved? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great question. I can definitely, you know, I can describe it as as a, a few things. One, a lot of people feel like um, you know, dogs, you know, they're intuitive, and they are mm-hmm. in some way. And we'll just focus on dogs now. But you know, so maybe some dogs intuitively pick up on having a bad day. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in my person's lap, and For I'm gonna sure. let them pet me, and mm-hmm. and that and that feels good. Earl wasn't as intuitive with that. So what, what had to happen was I had to train him to understand what it, what it looked like for me to experience different types of, you know, mm. mental health symptoms. And by training, and that's what a lot of people do. I mean, he still has some intuitive nature, but it wasn't like, oh, you know, uh, Jeff's about to have a panic attack. And he knew that 10 mm. minutes before I did, because right. sometimes I don't even know. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, you know, the symptoms change. They can change daily, weekly, monthly. So, so what people do is they train their dogs to act on cues. You know, let's say you have a lot of anxiety. And so when you're super anxious, you're biting your nails off or you're shaking your leg. You train the dog to look at that a visual cue, respond mm. to that, and then help you kind of, you know, find your center. I know for me, since I got Earl, certainly these last five months have been extremely difficult uh you know i don't know where it came from but just have had a lot of trouble functioning and kind of been right back in the thick of it and i know that these five months if i didn't have earl and i didn't have the um desire to care for him Mm -hmm. like i do and take him out and get outside in nature and walk and talk to people i wouldn't be doing this podcast i'd most likely i don't even know if i'd be here because that is that is the power of of having him in my life. I can't, you know, I can't stay in bed all day and all night. He's going to get into bed. He's going <laughs> to, he's going to bother me to the mm-hmm. point where I'm like, get, mm-hmm. I might be mad yeah. at him, but mm-hmm. it works. He's going to get you mm-hmm. going too. Mm-hmm. Je- Je- he's going to get me going and he's going to get me. And the thing I think that really that he does more than any task that he does, any work he does for me is he gets me, connected with other people mm. and ways oh what dog is that what yeah, kind of yeah, dog yeah. and how people always come yeah a great he's point. a conversation starter right yeah and you uh. know really dog lovers animal lovers are good people they're caring people and they understand they can help us break this stigma down mm-hmm. of mental illness you could talk to the the toughest person you could find that's never spoken a word about mental illness but they've had dogs their whole life and right. you could say you know, give me an example of when that dog has kind of kind of helped you. Well, I don't have any. So have you ever been stressed at work? Yeah, I'm all stressed all the time running this company. I come home and I pet the dog. I feel better. All right, there you go. There's mm-hmm. our example, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and so you kind of just help. So it's a way to also educate people outside of the mental health community mm-hmm. around, you know, how do we get them involved? Well, an animal can be that ticket to get people involved. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's a great point. Jeff, so, uh, you know, we really appreciate you sharing your story and, and how this symbiotic relationship with your dog has really kind of helped you. And so, but oftentimes when we talk to people about mental health and mental illness, they want a quick fix, quick solution, how to mm-hmm. kind of get in, get out, mm-hmm. and not feel better, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about the importance of having patience and developing a true relationship with your companion that's animal yeah, really to really kind of help you to get to a point to where you're, you're healthy permanently? Yeah, I mean, I trust me. I, if there was a quick fix out there right now, I would do it. I mean, right. if, if they said take this pill, you're gonna, you know, gain a hundred pounds and have acne and all, but you will never have this experience again. I would do it. But you're right; there is no quick fix, and there is no one size fits all approach. So what that looks like is it's, you know, there is a, uh, you know, there's certainly a need for many people to work with a a doctor, find a medication that may help, kind of help level the playing field. What percent of that? I don't know. Talk to someone professionally. That's also really important. But in terms of kind of, you know, is the dog going to be, you know, the be all and the end all in that quick fix? It's definitely not going to be that. And, And that's, you know, that's what I think people see my story or they catch a glimpse on social media and they're like, I've been struggling. I've got what Jeff has. I've been on all these meds. I got to get a dog. But what they don't realize is, you know, I do so much work in my day. Everything revolves around Earl. If you're going to just get a dog and hope that you're going to be better, it's just the same as getting that medication and hoping you don't have to do any work. You don't have to look at your diet. You don't have to look at, you know, your, your relationships with people. You don't have to look at kind of the family dynamics, all these different things. And I think that having patience and understanding, especially if you have severe and persistent mental illness and it keeps coming back and each time it comes back, you lose hope and you don't want to live anymore. If you have that understanding and kind of looking at your life as, Hey, maybe, you know, you know, maybe for me, like I wanted to run a huge company. That's not, that would be horrible for me. I would be too stressed. I wouldn't be able to focus. I wouldn't be able to do the things I love. So I have to change my expectations. And that doesn't mean that anything's wrong. It just means this is what you were given in life and to kind of have some patience and be easy on yourself and know that you're not like your friend that doesn't have these challenges. And you're not like that person that's made a million dollars right out of college because they came up with this brilliant idea. You've struggled. Be, you know, be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Accept it and do whatever you can that's good for you and for others in your life. Well, I'm so proud of you, Jeff, Mm -hmm. um, because you have clearly um, experienced, you know, so much just in a short period of time and and what you've been able to do with Earl and and the work that you're doing. Um, I just want to say, you know, that we commend you on everything and, you know, are here to always be uh, a support for you um, in everything that you're doing. I'd love for you to just share with our listeners um, before we close out. Is there anything else um, that you want to add about the clinical trainings and, you know, what else uh, you plan to do to further your mission? Yeah, sure. I I think that, uh, you know, you mentioned clinical trainings. In order to integrate this into mainstream treatment, in order to make this, you know, available at community-based levels, at nonprofit levels, at the psychiatric hospital, inpatient, outpatient, we do need to train 
mental health professionals about what it looks like to write a emotional support animal recommendation, how animals can really be part of this process and, you know, what they can do, how, the, how people, how our mental health professionals can understand that our animals, our pets, our family members, and some of the best ways to get people to open up is to talk about their non-human family members because, mm-hmm. you know, you start bringing up the human fan, the mom, the dad, you know, then, it, yeah. then it's like, ah, oh, you want to hear about that? Let me just, it's going to take 3,000 sessions. Mm-hmm. But you, you talk about the pet, you talk about the dog, and you get people to, to really start to connect on a different level. You're offering them something different. So we offer these clinical trainings nationally where we go and work with, you know, different groups of therapists and help them kind of look at this and see if they want to, you know, have an animal component to their work. And if not, to make sure they're recommending animals in the appropriate way. But also in terms of just locally, you know, I, we, we really want to do more work with the school system. So if you're out there listening and you work at a school or, you know, whether it's, you know, I think the focus, while I love little kids, I think kind of middle school, high school, college mm-hmm. is that sweet spot that I really, you know, I understand better. And I want to partner with different organizations like Silence the Shame to do things where we can start bringing in some real programs that don't have to cost a fortune where after school programs with, you know, with students and animals can be, Mm. they can just be so valuable. It's just going to be such a great way for people to really support each other and have some fun doing it. So please reach out to us. Um, if that is, if that rings true to you. Let me just ask you, do you have any other animals besides Earl, or do you have access? Like, do you have um, a group of people that are interested that may have their own, um, you know, animal serv- service animal dog or, you know, any other types of pets as therapy? Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, Earl is my only dog. I thought about, you know, different ways over the years that I wanted to structure Go Fetch Wellness, that I want to have a bunch of dogs and kind of place each one with someone and what I realize is we have so many uh, shelters and rescues in every state in the country that have animals right there. They have the captive audience. They have the supply of animals. So really what it is is when there's an interest in a group, um, and then you just it's, – it's acting – it's what we do is act as a facilitator. So we help facilitate those groups at the Humane mm-hmm. Society, let's say. You know, they have a few branches in Atlanta – and so those are where we kind of pull the animals from, unless someone themselves has, you know, a, uh, a dog or, or another animal that they're looking to train for any number of things in mental health, and then we help support them with that individual animal. And tell our listeners how they can stay in touch with you and keep up with all the wonderful things that you have going on. Well, I would love to, I'm going to uh, direct you to our social media, but since I'm the main person in charge of social media and pretty bad at that <laughs> first if there's anyone out there that this rings true and you enjoy social media we need you but uh if you do want to find us everything is go fetch wellness instagram at go fetch wellness it's go fetch wellness.com for our website twitter facebook go fetch wellness we have a, a new newer initiative called fetching stories where people are sharing uh, stories of, of mental health, uh, recovery and mental health as it's been impacted by pets in their lives. So that's really cool. So if you have an interest in that, 
that's on Instagram at fetching stories. But yeah, we want to hear from you. No question is, is, uh, you know, is, is considered, there's no stupid questions and anything, anything that rings true to you, please reach out. Cause you know, we want to be there to support others and, uh, you know, really just reduce and the number of, uh, of, of people suffering. It's just, it's incredible. And it's really heartbreaking. It really mm-hmm. is. And, and we certainly, um, we're going to make this happen, Jeff. Sure. I, we're, we're excited that you took the time out to share on our podcast today. I think this is something that, and Vaughn, tell me if you agree that I think we'll continue to, we'll see as a trend. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, in, in therapy and in um, overall recovery for emotional health and wellness. So, everybody, let's give it up for Jeff Think. For sure. And as I listen to this, I think that people might have been doing this a lot longer than they realized. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And just didn't know what and to call it. just didn't know what to call it. So yeah. this is amazing. Please give a, a pat and a hug to Earl for us. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog is Earl? I wanted to ask that. He's a, gold, he's a golden retriever. He's a golden retriever. He okay. is beautiful. So uh, we're excited, um, and we uh, will be in touch. We're going to do some work definitely at the, within the schools and at colleges. So uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming. Yeah. And Jeff, as a, let's as let's collaborate. Let's you know let's start building a. You know I know you've been working on this and doing a great job, but I think that I think mental health needs more collaboration. Needs more people working. We need more professionals working with peer support, working with nonprofits, and kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, we just need to pull our resources so we can start really uh, making a difference. Definitely. Yeah. That's and, right. and Jeff, that's what I, exactly what I was going to say as, as someone has been working in the field for almost a decade now is, you know, I thank you for finding your lane and really kind of thriving in that. And really, you know, I've written down a couple of notes myself because it's something that's, you know, be a new modality for myself to be able to do those uh, emotional support, animal recommendations and things to be able to support what you do. And then also for you to continue to create those avenues for our clients and patients so that everyone, as you said, can have a, a much healthier approach to dealing with mental health and mental illness. I love that. And you're, you're at, you're at Morehouse. Did I hear that? Morehouse School of Medicine. Absolutely. But he also has That's his great. own. Well, you know, we'll, we'll come to Morehouse. We'll talk to, we'll talk to your colleagues and see maybe that maybe they can be one of the first places to have a, have a group like we're talking about in the Atlanta area. Absolutely. And even uh, those of us I have private practice as well. So there are a number of practitioners that would definitely love to be able to collaborate with you and see how we can bring some of that energy down here to Atlanta also. And not just Atlanta, you know, if you're listening and you're in another city, you know, obviously shoot us an email, um, let us know, and we'll we'll try to see if we can get to your city or get Jeff and Earl to your city, certainly. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to thank everyone again. Everybody give each other a round of applause. All right. Again, thanks to Jeff Fink from Go Fetch Wellness. And thank you, Vaughn Gay, um, for always being here and and helping us uh, and imparting good words of wisdom around mental health. Always. Free the vision. Yep. This has been an exciting podcast. Now I'm kind of, I'm like, I want another dog now. I used to have a dog. (laughs) Now I have a new reason to want a new pet, so I got to look at it. But at the very least, maybe I'll just go to my shelter and and volunteer Mm -hmm. and use that as therapy until I can get my own. So this is episode 21 of the Silence of Shame podcast. Please continue to make sure that you subscribe. Rate and share. Yes, yes. And comment. And comment. Mm-hmm. And follow us on Instagram at, at Silence the Shame, on Facebook at Silence TH Shame. You can check out a lot of our videos on YouTube at Silence the Shame TV. Yep. So until next time, peace and love, and make sure you take time, save a life, and silence the shame. If you or anyone you love needs a hand, please shine light on the darkness. Spark the conversation. It's time we silence the shame. Let's talk about it.